0: Good morning to everyone and welcome to the well here at STSA. Great to see so many people here today. We are wrapping up a series called Starting Small. So if you're just kind of tuning in today or just showing up after a long time away for the summer, make sure that you go online after this message, not during the message, after the message. Make sure you go online to stsa.church and get caught up on the first three parts because what we're talking is about something that every single one of us needs to make sure that we pay attention to. And that is we're talking about our systems or our habits in life. And what we talked about from every single week from the start of this series to today is that ultimately your success in life will not be based on the goals that you set or the vision that you have or your intentions or or, or what it is that you aspire to attain. What's going to ultimately determine your success in every aspect of life is going to be the systems that you have in place to achieve it. Here's our key thought that we're looking at every week here. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. So ultimately, the people who are successful are not the ones who occasionally do certain things. We're all good at that. We all know what it's like to set a goal, a health goal, and we're going to exercise and we're going to eat right. And we're going to avoid whatever it may be. And we kind of do it every now and then. But we don't find the success. The successful people are the ones who make it a habit. Successful people do consistently what other people only do occasionally. Do you find me any aspect of life, find me any area of life, you tell me, like I said, health-wise, ultimately your success with your physical health is not going to be based so much on your goals that you set, but it's going to be based on whether you choose French fries or apple slices with that extra value meal, whatever it may be. It's going to be based on whether you choose to watch another episode or to turn it off and go downstairs and, and work out or go to the gym and work out. Relationally, you want relational success. It's not about your desire or your wishes. The relational success is between people who have the right systems in place. The system, something very small, something has turned the phone off and put it down, is someone who's going to be successful relationally. And then someone who doesn't have that system in place might have struggles relationally. Any aspect of life, career, uh, financial, your retirement goals, it's not a matter of your goals as much as a matter of your habits and the systems you have in place. And the same is true spiritually. Every one of us got the same spiritual goals. But ultimately, the ones who will find success spiritually are the ones who know how to translate the big goals into small steps and small habits. Because like we said uh, in the beginning, is you will not rise to the level of your goals, you will fall to the level of your systems. You will not rise to the level of your goals, you will ultimately fall to the level of your systems. So then we talked about how to set those goals, I'm sorry, how to set those systems, how to establish them. And I asked this question over two weeks, okay, one to start, one to stop, and that is this. Based on who you want to be, what one habit do you need to start or stop? And I think those are two separate questions, you should answer them both, but I didn't want to put them up there on the screen, as too, because we're taking too much space. Based on who you want to be, what one habit do you need to start, and what one habit do you need to stop? We talked about how every decision is a small step towards something, every action, is a small step in the direction of something. So based on, starting point is always, we talked about in the first week, who before do. Not I wanna read the Bible, not I want to pray more, not I wanna exercise. Those are steps along the way, but we're starting with who. I want to be a man of God. Okay, what one habit do I need to start and stop in order to become man of God? So I would say, in order to become man of God, I need to stop skipping church on Sundays, I need to start going to bed at 10 o'clock on Saturday nights. Small habit, step towards man of God. You say, I want to have healing in my relationships. I want my relationships that may be broken. I want to invest in this relationship or I want to heal this broken relationship. Then I say a small step. What I need to stop doing is talking to whoever while the TV is on. I need to stop that habit. And what I need to learn how to do is turn the TV off, turn the phone off and go undivided attention based on who you want to be, what one habit you need to start and you need to stop. You have a career goal. You want to get to a certain spot by age 25, by age 30. Well, maybe a good habit to stop is turn off the Facebook and maybe open up a real book, okay? And that might be something that you can do to step towards who it is that you want to be because every decision is a step towards something. That's kind of where we've gone over the past three weeks. Now, today, the question I want to answer, so many people are thinking this, and if you're not thinking this, and this may be your first go-around, but if you try to start good habits in the past, you you should anticipate where I'm going with this topic here today because it's really easy to start habits. It's like the person who says, I'm really good at quitting smoking, I've done it many times, okay? It's really easy to make that New Year's resolution. It's really easy to go to the gym in January. It's really easy to eat healthy when we have this momentum and we're all doing it together. What I wanna talk about today is how do I make it last? How do I make it stick? How do I turn the short-term changes, which we're all really good at, and I know some people in this room have made great changes or started great changes over the past three weeks, how do I make it stick and make it turn into long-term? Because we all know what it's like to start something and fail. To start a habit and then run out of gas. We all know what it's like Say, I'm going to read the Bible this year, and I'm going to read through the entire Bible. And, you know, we're going strong through Genesis, Exodus, we're doing good, and then we kind of hit the end of Exodus, kind of tabernacle. We kind of lose a little steam, and then we lose a little bit here, and then we, Leviticus, and the book is closed, and and I know people who have read from Genesis, Exodus, start of Leviticus, 15 times in their life, okay? Never gotten past that. We all, and that's more discouraging. Like you are actually better off having never started versus starting and being like, no, 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 no. I can't do that. I failed. We all know what it's like. I won't say about a diet or exercise because we all know what that one's like. We all know what it's like to say, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop procrastinating. I'm like, no more Netflix. Like no more. Like I'm gonna stop the procrastinating. I'm gonna stop it. And then we end up. Okay, going even deeper and the binge watching even more. We all know what it's like to say, I'm never gonna do this again. I'm never gonna lose my temper with this again. I'm always gonna be patient right here. I'm never gonna go online to those sites again. We know what it's like to make that promise and say, we're never going to. And then when we lose steam, we end up feeling like a loser. I'm a failure. Never gonna be any good. I was actually better off before I even tried because if I'm in a ditch Okay, and I start climbing my way and I can do it and I can do it and I can do it and then I get run out of gas and I fall down and someone says, okay, try again. (laughs) Been there, done that. And that's the verse that we looked at a couple weeks ago. I'll show it again Romans 7, 15, St. Paul. If you feel that way, St. Paul says, I know how you feel. You're not alone. We're all in the same boat. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. I got you. I know what it's like. I promise I'm never gonna lose my temper with my kids and I lost my temper with my kids. I promise I'm never gonna do that impure stuff. I did the impure stuff. I promise that I'm never gonna break this or I'm always going to, and I've done it. So we're all in the same boat right here. Question for today, how do we turn short-term changes into long-term lifestyle? What we're going to do is we're going to look at one of, if not the most, number one, habit-changing organizations in history. There's one organization out there, which you know, but maybe it didn't come to your mind right away, that has helped more people change their habits long-term than anyone else. They currently help 2.1 million people per year to change a set of habits and to start a new lifestyle. And they've been copied by hundreds of other organizations. And that is, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous, you've heard of it before. Some may have attended one of the meetings before. This is no shame group, no judgment group right here. Alcoholics Anonymous has been around for years. And like I said, they help 2.1 million people per year. And that's just the official Alcoholics Anonymous. There's spinoffs into every other area. So there's like AA style meetings for those who are addicted to gambling. Those who are addicted to pornography. Those who have like eating disorders, okay? Or whatever it may be. But the principles are all the same. And I would say if there's such a thing as a proven methodology, to help people change, I would say the folks at AA, they cornered the market on this thing. Now, here's the amazing thing about Alcoholics Anonymous. Those who have attended may know, and if you did, you don't need to sh- nod your head or anything, just kind of like agree in your heart. The strange thing about Alcoholics Anonymous, it was developed, it was a program developed by people with no scientific background whatsoever. Like, there's no one in there who's who, who developed it based on their, their understanding of, of, of genetics, and, and, and certain uh, genes that lead to uh, addiction. There's no, there's no psychiatrist or psychologist who developed the program. It really doesn't address any of those kind of biochemical issues that lead a lot of people to addiction. And if you've ever attended a meeting, you would be shocked, or if you've known anyone who's attended, you would be shocked at how unimpressive the meetings are. Like, I remember the first time I heard about these meetings, I thought there's going to be something. I thought there was going to be, like, experts and, and and professors and whatnot. Do you know what an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting is? There's no teacher. There's no expert. There's no curriculum. There's no structure. It's just a group of people sitting around sharing. There's a facilitator who kind of asks questions, and, and, and each week people share, but that's pretty much it. So why are they so successful? How they help so many people to not just change in the short term, but change in the long run. Well, I believe they understood the key to change, and I believe it's it's found in the scriptures as well, and I believe that there's two key components, a short-term component and a long-term component. You need to have a short-term and a long-term plan. You need to have a short-term and a long-term plan in order to finally achieve success, and I believe it's this. I believe you need a short-term plan, and you need a long-term belief. You need a short-term plan and a long-term belief. You need to have a vision in the long-term of where you want to get to. And you need to have a plan in the short-term of the first step to get there. You need to be able to think at both levels. You need to be able to see 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line. You need to always hold on to that 20 years down the line. But then you also need to be able to see right here in front of me right now and how this step translates to that. Alcoholics Anonymous was started sort of in a semi-Christian manner, okay? They are got Christian roots, but they were never like officially Christian. But the program is 100% Christian in its understanding, even though they could change some of the terms. Like, a, like they're the ones who came up with the whole like higher power kind of a thing. So the, one of the fundamental beliefs and to be successful in Alcoholics Anonymous, you have to believe that there is a God out there who is more powerful than you and someone out there who's on your side, who has a vision Okay, but again, they don't, they don't say God because they get in trouble with that. So they say a higher power, a higher being, whatever that may be, okay? But we know who that higher power is, it's God. So don't get, don't, 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 don't get tripped up by that one. But they emphasize the fact, you are not alone. Someone is on your side. Someone very powerful, believes in you, and he's on your side and he's gonna help you. So you are not alone. They emphasize that every single week. But then, in the short term, they force people. This is where they're genius to dig deeper into the true cause of their bad habit and to reprogram the way that they think to be able to overcome the habit. I know that sounds complex. I'm gonna break it down real easy right now, okay? St. Paul says something similar in Romans chapter 10, verse 10. He kind of says there's there's two components, all right, to this whole Christian thing. He says, with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Our Christian faith is based on Faith and works, okay? With the heart one believes, with the mouth one speaks. You need to have both. If you have faith without works, no good. If you got works without faith, no good. If you have a long-term vision, but no short-term plan, no good. If you got the best short-term plan, but no long-term vision, no good. We need both of them working together, okay? The faith and the works, the belief and the plan, the long-term and the short-term in order to find success. So what I wanna do today The time that we have remaining, I want to look at both, and I want to talk about. We've talked a lot about the short term, okay? The last couple weeks, so I'm gonna, I'm not really gonna get too much into that, but just kind of an overarching principle about the short term to keep in mind that I think is the key to finding success. Then we'll talk about long term as well. Let's start with the short term. You want to find success in the short term. You have to make sure that your plan of new habit or or stopping an old, stopping a bad habit or starting a new. You must make sure that you keep this in mind. The key is to identify. New paths to same rewards. You must identify new paths to same rewards. Did you know that most alcoholics, their desire is not to be intoxicated? That is not their desire. And in fact, they hate being intoxicated. That's not the true need. That's not what they're looking for. What they're looking for may be companionship. And alcohol kind of facilitates that. What they're looking for is stress relief because they have high-stress jobs or whatever it may be, and they kind of built this habit that when I'm stressed, I do that. Or maybe they're looking for just an emotional release. Okay, They have you know, pent-up emotions, and alcohol facilitates the process of releasing those emotions. So what AA did is they found a way to give those same rewards without or by a new pattern or by a new routine. For example, okay, we talked about the habit loop, okay, over the past couple weeks. And the habit loop goes, cue or trigger, routine, reward. Trigger, routine, reward. Trigger, routine, reward. So the trigger in this example right here is there's a guy who's stressed out, okay, fought with his wife, boss gave him a hard time, whatever it may be, and now all of a sudden, he's stressed. That's the trigger. And he has established the habit over the course of many years, kind of unbeknownst to him, subconsciously, that when I'm stressed, I grab a drink, and then the reward is, I'm not stressed. So the true, what he's really looking for is not the drink, but the stress relief. So what Alcoholics Anonymous does is they help you to see that pattern and say, when you're stressed, that's the cue, give a call to a friend, go for a jog, play a little golf, have some Ben and Jerry's maybe, they have some companions to helped me through many stressful days. When you're stressed, find a new path to get to de-stressed. There's more than one path to get to that reward. If you're going to be successful, you must identify the underlying need and find a new way to feed it as opposed to just hoping that it doesn't exist anymore. I'll give you a practical example. And it's a ridiculously nonsensical example, but it's my example, okay? Several years back, I had a bad habit of biting my cheeks. Any, any cheek biters in the room here today? Any cheek biters? Okay, some cheek biters, okay? There's nothing wrong with being a cheek biter. There's nothing wrong with it. Like, there's nothing wrong, and no one says anything's wrong. But I remember one time I went to the dentist, and the dentist looking at my mouth. And you know how, like, first the lady comes, okay, and then she does stuff, and then the other guy comes, and, like, he, like, mis- does stuff, and they, like, communicate, like, some kind of code or whatever it may be. So I'm like kind of a competitive person. So I always want to be like, you know, like, you know, no tartar, no, like I'm trying to like get the best report. So she does the thing and then she asked me, do you bite your cheeks? And I was like, yeah, like, okay. And she didn't say nothing about it. And then the the man comes in and you know, the report and the x-rays and whatever it is. And she goes to him, oh yeah, he's a cheek biter. I didn't want to be no cheek biter. Like my mama didn't raise a cheek biter. Like, I'm better than that, okay? And no one told me there's anything wrong, but that's when I decided I'm not going down like a cheek biter, you know what I mean? Like, I had to fight for my, my dignity. So then I tried to come up with a way to break the habit. Now, for those who are cheek biters, it's something that happens subconsciously you don't even know it, okay? So it's not easy to fix. So what I said is, first thing, as, as you would try the willpower approach, I'm just gonna stop biting my cheeks. How long do you think that worked for? nothing. Okay, because it's subconscious, you don't even realize that you're doing it until you go to do it, and, you're, and then by then it's too late. Says, so "Okay, you know what? I'm gonna have gum in my mouth at all times, because when I'm chewing gum, I can't chew my cheek at the same time as I chew my gum, which is like that worked. Okay, but it's a kind of a short-sighted way to approach it, because like I mean, how much gum can one chew? And like you know, we're on a budget. Like we're trying to put kids in college one day, so you know what I mean, like." And then I came up with an even dumber approach, which is every time I find myself biting my cheek, I'm gonna pinch myself, okay, to like hurt myself and cause myself pain. But I'm like, this is stupid. Like, why am I hurting myself? Like, this is the dumbest one of them all. And then I read the book by Charles Duhigg that I told you guys about called The Power of Habit. And it talked about this loop. So I said, okay, you know what, I'm gonna try it. So the first thing I wanted to do is I wanted to kind of address the cue issue. And the cue for me and figure out what it was is when I think. Okay, there's two things I do when I think. It's bite my cheek and also stick up my tongue sometimes. You know what I mean? Like I kind of do like that. Okay, and the other other thing I notice I do is I stare. So sometimes I'll be in like the Panera, the Starbucks, and I'll be staring at someone. and 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 it's, It's very uncomfortable, okay? But that's what I do. I stare kind of. So it's when I'm like thinking about something or deep in focus. So what I did is I took an index card, just a blank index card, and I put it in my pocket. And I felt it. Okay, because I could feel, because I don't like anything in my pocket. Like, I like to be lightweight at all times, ready to run at any point in time. You never know what a dog or a cat or whatever it's going to maybe. be. So I put an index card in my pocket, and that helped me to be aware. So, like, there was always something reminding me, okay? And that was really good for a little bit. And then anytime I found myself thinking the thing, then I would put the gum in my mouth. And that, like, worked for a little bit. But what was I missing in the process? I hadn't addressed the reward issue. So I was finding kind of mixed results. And then I read this about changing the reward. And you know what I did? I gave myself a great reward every time I didn't bite my cheek. You know what I did? I took that index card out. I had a Nuke index card every day and I put the date on it. And every time I thought about it and didn't bite my cheeks and chewed a piece of gum, you know what I did? Check mark. And that check mark, now that's a reward. <laughs> I like looking at the end of the day and being like, yeah, check mark. You know what I mean? Something about the check mark, again, maybe it's kind of like the self-competitive that I'm kind of am. There's something very gratifying, like it feels good to bite the cheek, and that's a little bit of reward, but oh man, oh man, at the end of the day, having like 15 check marks, that's a much greater reward. And after that, it was just a matter of time, and then the thing went away, no more nothing it may be, because what did I do? I reprogrammed the loop. The loop was think or focus or concentrate, cheek bite, feel good. I'm always gonna have this cue because I need to think and I wanna feel rewarded and feel satisfied. I just needed to find a new path. So instead of stress, bite, reward, it was stress, check mark, I'm sorry, stress, gum, check mark. And believe me, for those who are the, the list and the planners, there ain't nothing like a check mark. Okay to really satisfy one when, when he is struggling. St. Paul kind of says the same thing in a slightly different way. St. Paul says, "No temptation, 1 Corinthians 10:13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it." So listen carefully. Discover what is the underlying need behind your bad habits or your reason for not doing the good habits. And if it is a legitimate need, if it is a legitimate need, God will make a way for you to get it. If it's a legitimate need, God will give you an alternative way. He will provide an alternative way for you to be able to fulfill it. You drink because you're lonely. And drinking, the buddies, the bar, the hangout, this is why you drink. It's not the drink. No one likes to be intoxicated for in and of itself because because in what you do, you're killing yourself and you're killing your brain cells and you're probably going to end up making, do things that you regret. No one enjoys that, but you enjoy the companionship. You enjoy the camaraderie. So maybe if the true issue is loneliness, there's a new way to fulfill it. And the way to fulfill it is join a group here at STSA. we got groups going on all the time. Volunteer some of your time. Go serve in the community. Like there's different ways to fulfill the goal, but you got to discover what the underlying need is. You mess around with your boyfriend or your girlfriend because you don't feel loved. So you have this desire to feel loved and that makes you feel loved. So you do that, not because you want to do that, because you come to me in confession and say, I hate doing that. And you know that you're poisoning your relationship that you hope is gonna be marriage, but you have this need to be loved. And I say to you, alternative way, discover the love of God. Discover the love of God that is there 24 hours a day, seven days a week that doesn't need a boy or a girl or whatever it may be. You overeat because you're stressed. Every one of us has done that. Overeat because we're stressed. If we can identify it's stress that's causing it, then the alternative route, go for a run, okay? Join a gym, all right? Read a book, go easy at work. Stop being so stressed out about work. You yell at the kids because you feel disrespected. This is your habit. You feel disrespected, you yell, to get respect back. My advice, new path to the same reward, humble yourself, even under your own kids, and they will truly respect you for life. You yell at them, they will give you respect for a minute. You humble yourself, they will respect you for the rest of your life. Don't settle for just the surface. Don't settle for the surface. There's always an underlying reason. Those who are successful in life, I I truly believe the number one quality for successful is self-aware people. Those who are self-aware, no limit to what God will do in their life. Those who walk in deception, no limit to what the devil will do in their life because you don't see the underlying reason behind it. King Solomon said it this way in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. He said, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. We all got stuff inside. We all do things for reasons that we don't acknowledge right on the surface. We all have things where we deceive ourselves. We pull the wool over our own eyes. The one who's gonna be successful is the one who's gonna dig deeper and say, why is it that I lose my temper? Why is it I keep this bad habit? Why do things that I don't wanna do? And oftentimes you'll discover that there is an unmet need inside which I'm trying to meet in the wrong way. But when we identify it, we can find a new path to the same reward. So that's the short-term piece of it. We said short-term plan, long-term belief, short-term plan, long-term belief. Short-term, I need steps, long-term, I need faith. Okay, faith and works working together. Let's, let's jump now to the long-term piece, the long-term faith. You know that you can have the best strategy. You can know the best steps. You can have the best idea and plans on a piece of paper. But as the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. So all your plans and all your efforts, If God is not part of it, if faith isn't a piece of it, it's only going to be short-term, but not anything long-term. You must have faith in order to achieve anything long-term. And I say that, and you say, but Father Anthony, that's not my gift. I don't have the gift of faith. I struggle with faith. That's not like my mom, she was good at faith. They're not like you, you stand up there, and you have a very strong faith. I have very little faith. And my answer always to people who say that, I say, you know, you don't need a lot of faith. You just need faith in the right thing. And in fact, Jesus spoke about how much faith you need to do big things. Let's say like you were trying to, I don't know what's on your to-do list, let's say move a mountain. How much quantity? Can you quantify the amount of faith you need to move a mountain? Jesus did. Matthew 17, 20, assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a, say it with me, as a mustard seed, I never had a mustard plant or a mustard tree, but the mustard seed that I know is very small. If you have faith as a, say it again, faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, you, mountain, Everest, Kilimanjaro, whatever your name is, you move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Let me say that a a, a slightly different way. You must believe. That mountain sized results come from mustard sized seeds. That's a tongue twister. You must believe that mountain sized results come from mustard sized seeds. Seeds. What the thing says on the screen mustard sized seeds. You must believe that God wants to do big things in your life, and the path to get there is usually very small. True story several years back. I was speaking with, like, a middle school kid, junior high kid, maybe sixth, seventh, eighth grade, something like that. And the kid, good kid, great kid, I should say, fantastic kid. But the kid had, like, a bad habit that he couldn't shake. And he was, like, really, really, really trying to shake it because, like, he was a good kid, like a really good kid, like a church kid, like good kid. And we're going to pray about this. So he prayed. We're going to fast. He fasted. Bibled He bibled Like, he church. He Everything that he need, like everything that you need to do, and he took the Bible at its word, and the Scripture said, "I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me," and he took it at its word, and he said that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, and he took him at his word, but he couldn't get past the struggle; he kept falling, and he came to me, and he says, "Father Anthony, I did everything you told me. I did everything the Bible said." Where's the victory in Christ? Middle school kid. And I'll be honest, I didn't know what to say to the kid. You know why I didn't know what to say to the kid? Because if I'm honest, if I'm honest, I actually, I agree. I can totally relate. And so can you if you're honest. You can relate to, but God, didn't you promise me? And if I did, and where is the victory? And where is the conqueror? And where is the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all the powers? Like where is it? Where is the peace that surpasses all understanding? Where is the joy that no one can take from me? Like where is it? And I was struggling with this. You know how God answered this prayer for me? It hit me like a ton of bricks. One day, I was watching the World's Strongest Man. Anyone seen the World's Strongest Man competition? No one has watched the World Strong. Come on, hey, more people watch the World's Strongest Man like that. Because I was watching World's Strongest Man. If you had never seen World's Strongest Man, you do not know what you are missing, okay? These are feats of, of, of incredible strength. Like, these people, like, forget Marvel and all that nonsense and the DC, like, that's uh, the, the people who have the, the capes and stuff like that. These are real human beings who, like, the competition is like a race pulling an airplane. Like, that's what it is. Like, you're gonna run these, like, 50 yards pulling an airplane. Who could ever could pull that airplane across the 50-yard mark faster would win, not pulling like a wagon, not, not 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 pulling like a like a a, a bicycle, pulling an airplane. One of them, I, the the one I remember this particular day was the the fri- the fridge lift. Okay, I don't know if you've seen the fridge lift competition. They basically tie a refrigerator to their back and then they race. Okay, so you know how people race. So they got a refrigerator on their back and they're running like this with a refrigerator on their back. It's incredible stuff, fascinating stuff. Anyway, sorry to deviate a little bit. But somewhere between the fridge lift and the plane pull, they did like a, uh, I don't know what it's called, like a, a special or like a, like meet one of the competitors kind of a thing to get to know him and like, you know, his fun side or whatever it was. And they were doing it on the greatest of all the world's strongest men competitors. Magnus Ver Magnussen. You guys know Magnus Ver Magnussen? Okay, very good. That's right. Now everyone's coming out the way. That's right. I like it. I like it. I like it. Everyone knows Magnus Ver Magnusson. If Magnus Ver Magnusson was stood up on the stage, man, I would be worried about the stage. Okay? He's a tank. And they were doing this piece on him about his mother and his father and whatever it was. And it hit me as I was watching it. They showed pictures of Magnus Ver Magnussen. The guy who pulls airplanes and carries refrigerators on his back. They showed pictures of him as he was a kid. And you know what I discovered? He was a scrawny little kid. He was kind of a puny little guy when he was in fifth, sixth grade. Like, he didn't come out the womb, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, thank God for his mom's sake. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he didn't come out pulling airplanes. You know what I mean? Like, he came out like a puny little guy like the rest of us. And when he was in middle school, he was a scrawny little kid like nobody could have predicted in middle school where Magnus Ver Magnuson the heights he would reach in life, pulling airplanes and carrying refrigerators. But today he can pull an airplane. In middle school, he looked like that kid. Today he could pull an airplane. Why? Humor. Steroids. (laughs) (laughs) We give the benefit of the doubt here, okay? We're not making any assumptions right here, okay? This is back in the '90s before we knew any of that stuff, okay? So anyway, assuming it wasn't steroids, when he was in middle school, okay, let me say it even, let me just say it clearly. When he was in middle school, could he pull an airplane? No. Today, can he pull an airplane? Yes. Why? Because he trained he worked out he lifted weights hopefully without the help of anabolic steroids he did something about it he had a vision of one day of course i'm assuming this i don't really know the guy but i'm saying assumingly had a vision one day i want to pull an airplane but i cannot pull an airplane today so i'm going to start small and i'm going to you know you know pull a pull a wagon Okay, and then maybe like you know, like a like a a, a a a small like a Prius, like a hybrid, kind of a thing. Okay, so he started pulling a Prius. Okay, then eventually he worked his way up to like pulling a sedan. Okay, and then like the minivan. Like so, he worked his way up. There was a time when he could not pull an airplane, no matter how much he tried, just like me and you. But he worked and he worked and he worked and he worked and he worked, and eventually pull an airplane, carry your fridge. Life, long-term vision, big picture, who I want to be, has to translate into small steps. But you never let go, knowing that if I do today, and then I next day, and then I next day, and then I next day, that there is a glorious, big, huge vision that God has for my life. Look at this verse here from Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. It says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. That's a strange verse. You are complete in him. The first half I get, he, all fullness of Godhead. We're talking about Christ, obviously. But I'm complete in him? But I'm not complete. Like the middle school kid would say, but I'm not complete. I have all kinds of issues. I have failures. And you would say the same thing like I would say. How this verse says, how am I complete? Complete meaning lacking nothing. Got everything that I need. You know why we are complete? Because we are complete in him. Not because we have the actuality and the realization, but because we have the potential. Just like Magnus Ver Magnussen was born, not with the ability to pull an airplane, but with the muscle tissue that if he worked out, He could eventually attain this goal. We are born the same way. Spiritually, we are in Christ. We have the potential. The potential. But the actuality requires some training. Requires working out. But we have everything that we need inside of us. You got demons in your life. You got serpents and scorpions and every power of the enemy, and you said, God, you give me the authority to trample over them. He says, yes, I give you the tra- authority to trample over them. And the way you're going to get there, you're going to get there in small steps, your small steps. I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and every power of the enemy. But are you willing to do your part and wake up five minutes early to pray? I tell you that a man whose ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And I will make your enemies to be at peace with you and give you victory over all and life will be peaceful. But are you willing to forgive when someone says, I'm sorry? Because if you're not, then you'll never find it. I tell you, I want to bless you, 30, 60, and 100-fold. But your job is to give 10%. See how it works? Magnus Bear Magnuson, I want to carry an airplane. All right, get up early and do a push-up. I read one time a nice quote that said that God, when he gives us, God doesn't give us Fruits, he gives us seeds. God doesn't give us fruits. So if God wants you to have a tomato, he doesn't give you a tomato, he gives you a tomato seed. If God wants you to have a cucumber, cucumber seed. If God wants you to have a watermelon, he doesn't put a watermelon tree in your backyard. He gives you a watermelon seed and says, go tend it, go care for it, go cultivate it, go do small things, come up with a short-term, small plan and believe, believe, believe that if you do your part, I will do my part. You know, there are many examples in the gospel about farming. Okay, Jesus spoke quite a bit. If there's one analogy he spoke about over and over, it's farming, and about a man, a farmer with a seed or a vineyard or whatever it may be. Do you know why farming is such a good example for the spiritual life? Because farming, any farmers here in the room today? Any farmers? No, okay, any wannabe farmers? Farmers, more than any other couple, okay? Okay. Farmers, more than any other job, even more than priest, I would say, in a lot of ways, is a job that requires faith. It requires big faith. And it requires exactly what I'm talking about, a long-term vision, a long-term belief, and a short-term plan. Because what a farmer has to do is say, you know what, I want fruit in October, so I got to start working some seeds in March. And he's got to believe, he's got to believe, believe, believe. Even before March, he's got to believe that to get a fruit on October 1st, I got to start on January 1st cultivating the soil. And you would say, what's the point of the soil? We want the fruit. No, small leads to big. Short-term plan, long-term vision. Anytime you let go of one or the other, you're gonna find yourself struggling. If you forget about this and it's just cultivating soil, cultivating soil, eventually you're gonna give up. Because this is very frustrating and discouraging because nothing good comes of this. But if all you're thinking is one day I'm gonna get fruit, one day I'm gonna get fruit, one day I'm gonna get fruit, and you don't do the work, you're not gonna find anything. We need a short-term plan. We need a long-term belief. That's why farmers are the best, because that's what they that's how they live. James says it this way, therefore be patient. James 5, 7, therefore be patient. Watch how many times he says patient. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. You be patient and believe that small things lead to big results, that big changes in your life will come when you are consistent. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. When you find those small, consistent habits and you stick with them, it'll do big things. So who knows? Who knows? Maybe a little fasting. A little self-control on a Wednesday and on a Friday. Who knows what that might do in my battle against sexual temptation? Who knows? Who knows what a little bit of generosity, what a little bit of kindness in helping others. Who knows? Well, blessing that might lead to in my career. Who knows about what one kind word a day, one kind word a day, which costs you, we did that series on kindness, a kind word costs you nothing. Who knows what one kind word a day when you come home from work might do to your marriage or your children. Never underestimate the power of small things, done consistently. You say, I can't, I fail, I can't fix this, I can never reach that, I'll always fail in this. And what I say is believe, 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 and then take small steps that you, Magnus Ver Magnuson, you're a scrawny kid today, you're not going to pull an airplane, you can't even pull a, do a pull-up. But if you believe that you can get there, and you are willing to put the work in the short term, who knows what your future holds? The guy in the Bible who I think mastered this short-term, long-term belief, short-term plan. The guy who mastered this, in my opinion, was Joseph in the Old Testament. I love Joseph. I'm a huge Joseph fan. I know our young adults just finished a Bible study on Joseph. Joseph was the man. And Joseph, his most famous uh, the most story that's, well, he's got many famous stories, but the, the passage in Genesis 39, where Joseph was tempted by his boss's wife, okay? And she tried to seduce him into doing bad stuff. And that's his boss's wife. And look what happens right here, Genesis 39. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. And when she said lie with me, she wasn't talking about tell a bad word, okay? She was saying lie with me in the the biblical sense. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what was with me in the house. And he has committed all he has to my hands. So Joseph said, no, lady, I ain't doing that stuff with you. That's crazy, man. The master trusted me. And it would be a great story if that's what Joseph did. The lady came to him and he was just like a servant in the house. And most likely, by the way, the master's wife didn't just come to Joseph. Okay, she probably went to all the other servants as well. And it was just Joseph's turn. So Joseph kind of knew this is how the game is played. And he came and said, no, lady, but go find somebody else. That would be great if that was just the story, but look what happens here in verse 10. So it was. He said no, so it was. She spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that temptation. Like one thing, you know, the lady comes and she's dressed provocatively and, you know, lie with me, okay? No, in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, I will not lie with you, okay? Like get behind me, Satan, okay? That's great. But then day after day after day after day, like, come on, man, like, come on, like, enough is enough. But at some point, just want to shut the lady up and get her off my back. Joseph stood strong day by day by day by day. Compare that to what we talked about Samson last week, who went step after step after step after step to walk into sin. Joseph, day by day, rejected the sin. You know why? You know why he was able to do that? The verse that I didn't show you is verse nine, which is the verse right before. And watch this guy and his long-term belief and his vision for his life. He said to the lady, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's a memory verse, by the way, in case you want to memorize a good verse. All right, if you're struggling with temptation, you go Genesis 39, nine. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Let's read it together. One, two, three. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? No, emphasize the I. It's I. Again, with me. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What Joseph is saying is, look, lady, I respect you. I respect your husband. I don't want to lose my job. But you don't know me. You don't know me. God has a great plan for me. You don't know me. Like, yeah, I understand the other people that you mess around with. Like, I'm not like them. I'm not judging them, but I'm better than them. Not that I'm judging them. But what I'm saying is, I didn't mean it in the judgmental way. I meant it in a like, God has a great vision for my life. I want more than just to be a servant the rest of my life. I want the blessing of God. God has told me that I'm gonna rule over my brothers and I'm gonna have a big impact on this world. I got a vision of where I'm gonna be. So I'm not judging you, lady. I'm not judging the people that you did the sin with. They can do it, but I can't. You know what we need to do? Or you know what our problem is? We don't have this vision. We don't have this vision. We need to walk around with this vision and say, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Don't you know who I am? Again, I know it sounds arrogant when it's coming out of my mouth now, but it's not meant to be arrogant. Don't you know who I am? I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm someone who comes to church every Sunday and receives the body and blood of Christ inside me. I'm a child of God. I'm precious. I'm loved. He's got a great plan for me and my marriage and my kids and my kids' marriage, and my church, and my service. Like, God has a great plan for me. So you know what? With all due respect, you can sin, but I can't. Because I have a vision of where I want to end up. And that vision translated to action. Verse 11, it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men was inside the house that she caught him by the garment and saying, lie with me. Like now like enough is enough. Like you did your best to run away, but she got you now. And she took your clothes. Like, come on, man. Like no one's gonna blame you. Like, but look what he does. He left his garment in her hand and fled out and ran outside. And, and for those who know the rest of the story, not only he ran out naked like a fool, he ended up getting put in jail and he could have gotten killed. Because the master's wife said that she tried to do this to me. Of course, no one's going to believe him. He's a slave. So Joseph risked everything. Joseph was willing to risk it all, but he said, you know what? I can't. I cannot do this because I know who I am. How about you? Do you believe that God can use a small habit to make a big change in your life? Do you believe that just setting the alarm clock five minutes earlier might be a game changer in your spiritual life? Do you believe, like I said, that just turn off your phone at nine o'clock at night might be a game changer in your marriage? Do you believe that maybe something as simple as like, what difference does it make if I go to church every Sunday versus like most Sundays? Do you believe that could be a game changer for the rest of your life? Ask anyone who did anything great in this world. Anyone who did anything great will tell you. How they did anything great was just one small step at a time. They held on to the vision, and they had the small-term steps. Mother Teresa, you did great things. No, I didn't. I just helped one person in front of me. And then when I was finished helping that person, I just helped the next person in front of me. No, I didn't do anything great. I was just helped one person in front of me. John the Baptist, Jesus said about you, greatest prophet, all of them. John the Baptist said, no, I didn't do anything great. All I did was just say one message over and over repent for the kingdom is at hand. That's all I did. I just did one thing. And I just did one thing. It was one small thing, not that big a deal. St. Anthony, you're the greatest. You're the light, okay, that shines all through heaven. And people say about you, and you're the greatest, and you're the greatest. St. Anthony said, I didn't do anything. I did one thing. I walked into church one day and I heard the gospel being read. And it said, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And you'll have treasure in heaven. That's all I did. I obeyed one commandment. I didn't do anything great. I just did one thing. It was a very small thing. Greatness is not great. Things, not big things. Greatness is small things done consistently. Can you believe that small things will make big change? I'll tell you this. Believing doesn't guarantee success in life. And I'm not trying to sell you a false bill of goods right here. But I will tell you this, that not believing guarantees failure. Believing doesn't guarantee your success, but not believing 100% guarantees your failure. So again, throw it back to you. Done the series. Talked four weeks about how we can make small things into big things. My question to you is, where are you trying to get to in life? What's the vision? What do you believe? (laughs) I hope that was at the front and not the back end. I was hoping. Okay. What do you believe God wants to do in your life? Where you want to end up five years, 10 years, 20 years? What's the vision? What's the plan? What's the belief? And then, once you have that, we start who before do. We start with always the identity. What do you want God to do in your life? What do you believe God wants to do in your life? Then you translate that, and you find small steps. What small steps can I take that, you know what? I'm not going to get there overnight. I'm not going to pull an airplane overnight. But you know what? By the end of this year, I'm going to be one step closer. And by the end of the next year, I'll be another step closer, another step closer, another step closer. Do you believe that God wants to do big things in your life and he will use small things to get you there? I'll read this verse and then I'm done. Matthew 13, 58. Insert your own name in here. Now he, being God, did not do many mighty works there being potentially you because of their unbelief. I read this verse I will say if I want to never hear a verse said about my household is this verse. I never want God to look down at our church, at my home, at my heart, and say, you know what? We had great plans, but did not do many mighty works. Why, God? Why you didn't do many mighty works there? They had great goals. They had because of their unbelief. One of our core values here at STSA is faith-filled vision. Faith-filled vision. If you remember in membership class, we talked about faith-filled vision. That we believe in a big God. We don't believe in a little God. We believe in a big God, a big, huge God who does amazing things all the time. And we are going to rely on that big God to do extraordinary things in our lives. One of the things that we even say in our core values: we are more surprised when God doesn't do a miracle than when He does. What right, I put back to you is that's not just a church thing. That's not we just believe in God to do big things for us as a church. We believe in God to do big things for us individuals and our families and our homes and our hearts. And I throw it out to you today to say, what is it you want God to do in your life? There's no limits to what God will do in the life of someone who has the faith to believe and a plan to achieve. Let's stand up together and say a prayer. in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit one god amen heavenly father we thank you because we know lord you got big plans for our lives and you didn't put you didn't create any ordinary people you didn't create anyone just to kind of pass time in this world and each one of us lord you've gifted and you blessed in certain ways because you have a big 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 vision and i pray lord that you would imprint that big vision on our hearts some people standing here today their vision is getting smaller and smaller every single day, and every failure, and every time that the bad habit kicks in, the vision gets a little smaller. But I pray today, Lord, that you would expand our vision of what you want to do in our lives, in our homes, in our church, in our community. I pray that you would help us to see with your eyes. And then I pray that you would help us to translate that big vision into small steps, knowing that successful people do consistently what other people just do occasionally. Give us, Lord, the discipline and the self-control that we need to be able to take small steps day after day to achieve your vision for our lives. We pray these things in the mighty name of your Son. Prayers of all of your saints. Here it says, we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.